Me, 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 but also you. The Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name your price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The name your price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to this special episode of the Inside Line Formula One podcast. Guys, the thousandth Formula One Grand Prix is finally here. The Kunal, it's really strange that the venue is the Chinese Grand Prix. Yes, I believe that the Liberty Media management could have probably planned this a bit better. Like, could the venue have been at a circuit and in a country that actually cares about Formula One? Yeah, unfortunately, that's what you get when it's such a tight calendar. But I think it's even worse that this landmark race is going to be at this really odd hour on Sunday uh, in the morning for most of the European fan base. And I really wonder if the other odd part is going to be that Mercedes could very well come and dominate the race yet again. That could be the story of the thousandth race, much like... It was the story of probably the 800th race or something to that effect. Mm. But, uh, you know, I'm actually thinking what circuit could have been the perfect host of the 1000th race? Like, could it have been Monaco or maybe Silverstone or even Monza? I'm not sure. Yeah, all good options, but I think it's really good to see Formula One thinking like a millennial. You know, I don't care where I am or what I'm doing. I'm going to just go out and celebrate my milestone with those who I'm with. Wow, that actually takes a millennial to sound like one. I don't think I could have managed that even if I had to read it from a script. Well done, Mithila. Kunal, Formula One is thousand years old. No, thousand races old, I'm sorry. <laughs> Nowhere close to being a millennial, but okay. But guys, in this week, let's just be ready for some really awesome historic content from Formula One. I wouldn't expect anything less. As for us on the Inside Line F1 podcast, you guys already know what the plan is. Last week, we told you that we would have famous Formula One photographer Kim Ilman on our show. So this week's episode of the Inside Line F1 podcast is about Formula One photography. How some of the most famous sports photographers in the world do what they do best. Shoot Formula One cars and drivers in action. Yeah, so I have the privilege of listening in to Kunal's talk with Kim. And I must say that Kim's five tips on shooting your best Formula One photograph were really, really good. Apart from, of course, telling our listeners how they can pursue uh, photography in Formula One as a passion, a hobby or even a career. Thinking about it, Kunal, I think my favorite circuit to shoot would be the Avon ring or the Red Bull ring, as we now call it. Such a beautiful circuit. Well, I honestly don't have a pick and maybe I'm still not like the millennial thinking guy, but I'm I'm in awe of Spa, just the scenery and Eau Rouge and all those fast flowing corners and maybe even Singapore, you know, Formula One under the lights really just make makes it look so different. Right. So Mithila, with your permission, I'm now going to play out the talk I had with Kim a few days ago. Happy listening, guys. So, you want to tell our listeners how and what actually got you into motorsport and why Formula One? 
Well, I'd um, spent three years producing a book, an African wildlife book, spending 26 weeks in Africa and uh, then editing and getting it all together. And I released that in 2015. And I thought, what am I going to do now? And then at the end of 2016, I went to the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix with Red Bull and paid the money and uh, enjoyed the behind the scenes stuff and went down into the pits. And I was standing there in the garage with the headphones on, listening to Daniel Ricardo talk to his engineer. And it was such an amazing experience. And uh, I thought, right, I really quite like this sport. I didn't really love it, um, but I, I certainly liked the look of it. And I thought, how about I do some photography with F1? So just on a whim, I thought, let's contact uh, the person at Red Bull that got me the tickets. And she got me the name of the person at FIA that I should contact. And I put a, an interesting package to them. Uh, obviously compelling enough that they said, yes, look, you can come and photograph testing because I was going to be in Barcelona in 2017. Mm -hmm. And uh, I met, met with the gentleman uh, concerned there and uh, I shot testing and did all right, and didn't offend anyone. So he said, well, look, we'll, uh, we'll uh, license you or credit you for um, Melbourne because it's your home race. So I did that. That was great. And he said, right, well, I want to credit you race by race. So in the end, I did all 20 races in 2017 and had the time of my life. Wow. That's just how a Formula One is, right? You just start and then you end up uh, loving the sport so much, <laughs> especially, like you said, you know, access to all the behind the scenes. And I, I believe that that can really end up, uh, you know, giving you a larger or a bigger hook to just keep coming back to the sport all the time. But from wildlife in the forest, literally, to a Formula One racing track, that's... That's interesting. So you've been, uh, you've been. This would be your fourth full season, I would assume. Third. Third full season. That's nice. And I, I actually had a listener uh, who wrote back into me when we told them that we're going to have Kim on the podcast to say that hey, Charles Leclerc's picture that he put on Instagram was actually shot by Kim. Charles has actually put a few of my pictures up, and uh, the, the one I think he's talking about was taken at Abu Dhabi. Well, there's two, two really great ones. So one was out of Abu Dhabi, and it was the first time he was in a Ferrari shirt, and it was the first day of testing. There was hardly anybody around. He was up on the uh, first corner, on the uh, outside of the first corner, just sitting watching the cars go past, and I uh, walked back and saw him sitting there, so I grabbed a 135mm uh, lens and took this lovely shallow depth field shot of him, and he looked at me and smiled at one point. I put that picture up and uh, it went really well for me and then he saw it and um, contacted me so uh, it ended up on his page and went crazy and <laughs> since then um, yeah, he's been good to work with uh, I know his manager uh, a little bit better than Charles and I find him to be an electric talent and a lovely fellow yes you know incidentally Charles was on our podcast twice last year and uh, he comes across so nice and soft and mature at the same time. And uh, the big distinction uh, that I've, of course, seen in my interactions with him is how he uh, is so accepting of the whole psychological aspect of being a Formula One driver, you know, as opposed to, say, someone like Max Verstappen, who says, I don't believe in having a sports psychologist. So two really uh, inspiring uh, young talents and two different approaches on how they wish to end up becoming uh, Formula One champions. But we have a listener called Christy George, and uh, uh, he's asked, uh, you know, why Formula One or is, is does other motorsport appeal to you as much? 
No, it's only Formula One that appeals to me. Uh, I just love the glamour of it. In fact, it is the pinnacle, the fact that, that uh, they race all around the world. It, it just, to me, seems to be the, uh, the major sports um, category in, in motorsport. Mm. I'd, I'd love to uh, hear from you someday that you could do uh, what Fernando Alonso did to the world of motorsport for drivers, you know, where you suddenly say, hey, I'd love to try a Dakar one day and I'd love to probably do IndyCar one day as well. But do you, do, you, do you follow a lot of drivers and their careers and, you know, understand uh, the whole, uh, the political angle of the sport? Does that interest you as well? Uh, look, I, I follow a couple of drivers in F1, and I'm, obviously I shoot them every second weekend, so uh, I'm aware of what they're up to. But no, I'm not a particularly um, avid petrol head. I, I, I just have fallen in love with F1, and I, I tend to make that my focus. And would it be very stereotypical for me to start by asking if Daniel Ricciardo is your favourite driver? <laughs> he is. He is from the same city as me. And he holidays in a town that I have a holiday home in, and I know his parents very well. So, uh, yeah, the fact that we're from the same city was... And I must admit, I was uh, a few years ago, I was sitting, listening to a race where he was improving dramatically over the last 15, 20 minutes of the race. Hmm. And uh, I actually I was out to dinner with some people, and I was very antisocial just listening to this particular radio broadcast. And I think that probably didn't do me any harm in, uh, in my admiration for the man because he is a, he's a fantastic fella. And it's just a joy to photograph and be around. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He's such a electrifying personality. And, you know, we're, we're going to be working uh, with the Renault press office team hopefully this year to try and get him on the podcast because we did have Nico Hulkenberg last year. So... Hopefully the move to Renault, at least one good thing that could come out is we can get to have him on the podcast. I actually like Red Bull because of their marketing and um, their just general approach. I think they're perhaps less stiff than, say, Mercedes or Ferrari. Mm -hmm. uh, very professional, great marketers. So in terms of an all-round team, I really admire Red Bulls and how they've gone about their business. Yes, there's always a lesson in sports marketing that one can learn from uh, Red Bull overall, so to say. But uh, yeah. what what would be your best circuit to go shooting on? Monaco, by far. It, it's nice and compact. Mm -hmm. There's so much glamour there. Uh, look, yes, it does have lots of wire either side, but there, there are opportunities where we can get so close to the cars and the backgrounds of the shots are um, unequaled. I I've had uh, I've had lots of you know listeners writing in asking us uh, you know what would be the three or five or seven tips that you would you know like to share on our podcast about taking the best F1 photograph. So any anything that you'd like to just shoot off? Yeah, backgrounds. It's absolutely vital. And when I first started in the sport, I was very green. And uh, I have been very lucky to have some of the best photographers in the world help me out with um, tips. And a lot of the guys will walk past and they'll say, toilet in the background, um, crane in the background, get rid of that rubbish. And, and it's been really a, an eye-opener for me that because the cars are the same every race and the drivers are the same every race. What changes is what's behind them. So I'm now acutely aware of what the background of a shot is and how we make that uh, interesting so that the person who's looking at that photo 
perhaps says, oh, yeah, I know where that is instantly, or oh, that's an interesting background. So that'd be my number one tip, because that's the thing I'm so focused on and getting right at the moment. Number two, uh, probably shooting a range of shots, because when we roll up at a location, it's very easy to just get one lens out and just shoot the same shot for 10 minutes. Whereas now I'm more attuned to, right, I'll do a few minutes of perhaps a tight shot and a wide shot, then I'll go low, then I'll go high, then I'll go fast, then I'll go slow. So at the end of the 10 or 15 minutes I'm standing there, I've, I've probably got a variety of shots. And uh, I think that's important because uh, initially I was probably guilty of just shooting the same thing for too long. Okay. What else? Uh, I mentioned background, but I think it's also important to, to look at the foreground. And probably it wasn't until the second year that I was shooting that I realized that there's an opportunity to put stuff in the foreground that enhances a photo. And it was a great example of in Mexico, I was walking through uh, the stadium there and I saw a whole lot of people standing against the fence and I was behind them. Then I realized if I stood up on one of those wooden tables, which I could, and with a particular lens, I could get the people in the foreground blurred, but the car sharp. And, and, and that's also to a certain extent in the pits too. I, I did a shot, if you have a look at um, my pictures from the last race, and you'll see them at ProStarPix.com or KimIllman.com. There's a shot there of uh, the Mercedes coming out of the drive, but there's a couple of people in front and they're blurred, but the car's sharp. So uh, that's something that people need to think about too. Put something in the foreground. What's my fourth one? Um, uh, editing. Editing is vital. I see a lot of pictures that go up where they're um, just nothing done to them to enhance them. So certainly a few seconds, and it sometimes can only, I've only got a few seconds to spend on each photograph in between sessions. But you spend a little bit of time on editing, and I've got a few presets, and it just makes a picture pop. And mm -hmm. uh, that's something I've become very focused on. And probably the final one would be when shooting drivers, because uh, a lot of my time is shooting drivers in the paddock, because I think that's um, the thing that most people are interested in. Yep, lots of people shoot cars on track, but I'm also interested in what's happening with the drivers and what they're up to during the day, is to don't stand with everyone else, because oftentimes there'll be half a dozen or a dozen photographers in the same spot. Mm -hmm. and they're all shooting the same angle. So oftentimes I'll see that and I'll go, right, well, I know the, the driver's going to walk past that 12 photographers, so I'll go. 100 metres up the paddock and I'll shoot with some flowers in the foreground or some palm trees in the background. And once again, that's something that I wouldn't have done in the first year, but mm -hmm. uh, as I've learnt more and people have stood over my shoulders and given me advice, I'm now acutely aware. That's interesting. Thank you. Those are really interesting five tips uh, that I'm sure our listeners will appreciate the most. And, you know, I had a very silly question and uh, the reason why I say silly is because I, of course, don't have the answer to this. And uh, you know, uh, when uh, when you're shooting a Grand Prix, for example, okay, I'm I'm assuming you'll have these standard vantage points where you know you get good visuals and good wheel-to-wheel uh, -wheel action, probably some accidents. But what I what I love to see at the end of it all is that uh, you know people, or rather, pretty much every photographer has captured the best moments of the Grand Prix. Okay. And that just makes me wonder if there is a sort of a network between photographers to say, okay, I'll shoot turn 13 and 14 and you can shoot num turn 6 and 7. And then at the end of the day, maybe we could just share a couple of pictures with each other. So all our 
fans, uh, <laughs> you know, followers, clients get get images from the whole Grand Prix. Is is there some sort of a network? Because all of you guys are pretty much clicking pictures at all parts of the track. No, well, to a, yeah, yeah, the answer is yes and no because there are some groups where three or four photographers get together and form an association and uh, and they would go to a client and say, right, I've got four photographers, we'll get you a, a great range of images. But myself, I'm a freelancer, so I will only shoot what I shoot and I will only share that on my pages. So I don't happen to work, although the first year I did shoot with Sutton's and I had a deal with them mm-hmm. where they took my images and uh, that worked well because I got to learn a whole lot from Mark Sutton who incidentally has done 501 races, which is an amazing feat and a lot of travel. But uh, the, the, the likes of Getty Images and LAT have a number of photographers at each race. So they are guaranteed to get probably five to six, seven different angles uh, because they've got five or seven photographers there. So that's simply a, a function of the number of photographers they have. That's that's nice. So for you, you you would plan your session saying, I'll, like you said, you know, I'll spend 10 minutes at this corner and 10 minutes somewhere else and another 10 minutes. Is that how you usually end up planning your session? That's exactly right. So uh, what I plan and what actually happens really actually works out because I'll get distracted or I'll decide like on the weekend <laughs> with the race. It was so darn windy up on top of the tower that we can shoot from. Right. I thought, no, nah, this is a waste of time up here. I can't even hold this lens still. So I, uh, I was forced to go down early from that. But yeah, I make a mental plan and we start with that. And uh, we have another listener called Deep Roy Chaudhary who has asked, how can budding Formula One photographers follow your lead? What can they do to probably get a break uh, in, in the profession that you are doing so well in? Well, uh, they often say that it's easier to become an F1 driver than it is to become a <laughs> photographer. But it, it, look, it, it depends. Uh, I guess the way I've done it is I'm a freelancer, so I pay for my own travel. I go all around the world out of my own pocket. I sell my images to uh, for both editorial purposes and personal purposes via ProStarPix.com. So I'm, I'm in a little bit different a boat than, say, someone who's perhaps 20 and wants to become an F1 photographer because they're probably going to want to get paid because they wouldn't have perhaps the disposable income that you need to be able to do this on your own. So mm-hmm. how would they go about getting a paid job? I think it's very, very tricky. Um, my guess is you would need to start in the lower ranks and become known to different people and just, I guess, be lucky. Be in the right spot at the right time when an agency knows of you and needs you. So I don't think there's a definite career path that I could uh, say, right, do this and you'll be uh, in Formula One in five years. But certainly there's a lot of luck involved, I imagine. I, 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 I so agree with that because breaking into the so-called uh, paddock network is one of the toughest mm-hmm. things that one can end up doing. And that's what I learned when I was also working at uh, Force India and now at, uh, now at Viasat. But if there are uh, budding photographers and they want to get in touch with you, they can write to you. Yeah, I'm happy for, for them to contact me. Of course, there's mm-hmm. never any work going because it's just me. Uh, yeah. But look, if, if they want to write to me, I'm always interested. Look, it's my passion at the moment and I appreciate any feedback on this particular sport and it's a great thing to photograph. Perfect. And uh, 
anything you would specifically like to share other than what we've discussed any angles or any any specific parts of your work or your experiences i think it's important to note that i'm more than just a photographer yes i take photos but i then use them in a blog i do a pre-race blog and a post-race which people can go online and read about and that contains information that perhaps you won't see on television because it's my particular perspective of it what goes on in that paddock I also do a, a podcast, pre and post race. I post all of my images, some of them live from the track. So uh, I'll be at turn one, say, for the start, and once the cars have gone past, I press one button on my camera, and bang, those images, that particular image goes straight up online. Within a couple of minutes, it's visible at kimilman.com. And uh, you can also there uh, click on the link to Pro Star Picks. And if you want, you can buy a picture, the digital image, or if you're in Australia, a print. And uh, if you're overseas or anywhere outside of Australia, you can get that digital image. And if it's for personal use, the agreement allows you to print it. Uh, I don't know you might want to take it down to your local race and see if you can get a driver to sign it or just hang it in your office or on your wall at home. But uh, yeah, that's the way most people uh, get hold of my images. That's interesting. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Kim Illman, and you can see his work uh, on kimillman.com. And uh, before we say goodbye to Kim though. Kim, very important questions. We've had a very unusual start to 2019. You know, Botas won mm -hmm. in Australia. Charles almost won in uh, in Bahrain. Uh, you know, Vettel's of course not looked as comfortable, uh, you know, in the first couple of races. And then we saw that Hamilton's also been complaining. So, so to say the number two drivers are actually sort of outperforming or seemingly more comfortable <laughs> than the number one drivers. What are your predictions for 2019? Who do you think will be the World Drivers' Champion? For what it's worth, I think it'll be Lewis, and mm -hmm. I think Mercedes will win the, the uh, Constructors' Championship. I'd look, I'd love to see Charles win, but I just don't think uh, they're there yet. But I certainly think in the next few years, we'll see him uh, at the end of the season holding a very large trophy. That's interesting. And who do you think will be best of the rest? Because, you know, the, the midfield of Formula One is is like watching a Formula E race, especially when you see all the onboards from uh, Bahrain. You know, there's just so much of sparks and people are literally overtaking every second corner. And that's a good thing. So who do you think will be the best of the rest? Uh, I'd, I'd probably look at someone like Haas. I, I think they've started off all right with some good luck. They could be the best of the rest. Okay, interesting. But uh, thank you so much for your time, Kim. This uh, is—it's been interesting to have you on the podcast. And you know, Formula One photography has always been very fascinating. And now we have an insight into a very well-known photographer's mind in the paddock. It's an absolute pleasure. Good to talk to you. Perfect, Kim. Thanks again, and I look forward to being in touch with you as as the season goes along, and uh, we can probably do one post-season and share your experiences of how you saw 2019 or something of that effect. I'd be most happy to be involved, and I'll see you in Belgium. Thank you so much, Kim. That was so interesting. And thank you, Kunal. By the way, is this how you were going to tell me that we will be reporting from the paddock in Spa? Well, Again. <laughs> well, well, it's spa, you know, it's like the spa. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you. I'm going to consider the offer and let you know. Yeah, so we might actually go and have a coffee with Kim at spa. That doesn't sound too bad either. Guys, we told you at the end of last year that we would have paddock personalities other than the drivers on our show. And Kim's presence is a step in such a direction. We really hope that you like the talk. 
So go ahead and follow Kim's work on his website and social media handles. And, you know, when I was growing up, it was about owning a Sutton. You know, that was pretty much one of those things in, in the world of Formula One or motorsport. You own a Sutton image. So let's hope in the time to come, it is going to be the same with owning a Kim Ilman image. Great, guys. That's all we have for now. But please don't miss us too much because we'll be back in just a few days with our pre-Chinese Grand Prix episode. Till then, signing off. Adios. Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name your price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous walrus, the bulbous walrus. The name your price tool, only from Progressive. The owl and a foul of the comatose coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.